Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super excited about the guest that we have today. You know, we're going to be talking about her incredible journey as a founder. You know, she's founded multiple companies. Also, she's experienced corporate as well. But without a doubt, we're going to be talking about uh, her story. We're going to be talking about how she really got the, the bug from seeing and experiencing her parents, you know, coming to the U.S. and living the American dream as well showing, you know, as well the hustle at an early stage when she was starting her first company and also why she's doing what she's doing now, because there's this rocket ship that she's building. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Junko Sheehan. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alejandra. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. So originally born and raised in California to uh, immigrant parents. Your parents came from Japan with absolutely nothing. So how was life growing up? And then also, how did that inspire you? Yeah, so my parents immigrated from Japan and my father was the youngest of 11 children. So they he definitely had to make his own way. Uh, he came to California, met my mother while she was on vacation, proposed after three days. And then now the rest is history. They've been married for 50 years. Uh, so my my parents at the time didn't have a formal education, uh, but they really made themselves, um, they worked super hard. They started one of the first Japanese restaurants in the Silicon Valley uh, called Fuki Sushi. And now it's still it's still running 45 years later. So um, I think uh, after after, you know, blood, sweat and tears making that successful, they, they also expanded into real estate and, and got really lucky um, investing in, in Palo Alto of all places back in the time pre-Google and Facebook of HP. Uh, that was when Palo Alto was really like HP. And, um, and that was also a time when, you know, Japanese food was not as common as it is now, uh, but they really kind of worked morning until night. And my sister and I grew up during that latchkey generation of the 80s. Um, you're probably too young, not a hundred, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we had to, we kind of treated the restaurant as the third child of the family. And in fact, um, in the first year of its opening, we had to live in Japan with my grandparents. So we grew up expecting to support this, this business, which, you know, um, I think is, is a very, very early lesson to learn about the value of hard work and, and entrepreneurship. Now, one thing that is very interesting here is obviously you get inspired, obviously, big time by your parents and seeing their journey, their ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, also being in a place full of innovation, no? like uh, is being there in, in Palo Alto. But one thing that is very interesting is that when it's time to go to San Diego for university, you decided to study biological psychology out of all things. Why? Yeah. Well, I, I couldn't pick a major. Honestly, I started as pre-med and then um, switched between chemistry, math. Um, and my mother just said, you know, you need to graduate in four. Um, and so I picked biological psychology. I had the most credits in that subject. Uh, but um, but all of my university friends, they're all um, doctors, 
genetic uh, scientists. Um, they work in pharmaceuticals. They work in bi biotech. I'm the only one that kind of veered off the that path and went into 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 kind of entrepreneurship. So, um, and I think you know, growing up in um, in the Silicon Valley was really great because it also allowed me to go to one of the best public schools in the country um, in Palo Alto, and I was going to school alongside Stanford professors' children. You know, and and this kind of opened up my eyes to the value of a, a really good um, formal education. So. I think um, I think I was really really lucky to be surrounded by all these startups, to be surrounded by um, by by this uh, really great educational system, and you know, going to school in San Diego. I don't know if you've been to San Diego, but it's gorgeous, and uh, I had the benefit of um, of enjoying college. Yeah. Now, in your case, obviously, experiencing entrepreneurship, being surrounded by entrepreneurship all around you growing up, you know, it was certainly going to be a matter of time. Now, in your case, you know, that happened right after university when you went at it uh, during the Internet craziness with a gift giving platform. So tell us, how was this experience? You know, what was the incubation and the, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to go at it. I'm going to do this thing. Well, I think everybody wanted to start an Internet company back in 1999. Uh, but I, you know, we were trying to find something that was uh, that was unique. Um, and, and, you know, you lived the whole startup, you know, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, back then it was like, you, you'd rent a warehouse and so you'd start in a garage and then you'd, you'd migrate to a warehouse and you would build your desks out of doors. And this, this whole um, environment of a startup, it was in the, it was really in the air. Um, so I was really excited to, to start a company, uh, to try and figure out the right business model and gift giving at that time. Um, it was really interesting because a third of all of the gift cards were never redeemed. Um, and we, we had an asset light platform. So that was quite a, you know, interesting versus some of the other e-commerce platforms where they were trying to ship dog food, which is really low value to shipping. Um, and logistics at the time was quite com complex. So I think, uh, you know, it, it didn't in the end work out, but I'd say it was a very, very fast education in um, in, you know, sitting on a board, um, hiring 30 employees, then having to let 30 employees go. That was, that was really hard. Um, but I think some of those really tough lessons, uh, gave me, uh, you know, the inspiration to go back to business school to understand the macroeconomics around, around the broader markets, because, because that actually was the reason why we had to shut the company down. We didn't raise enough money to last you know, to last through a crash. Uh, and, and so understanding that we have to have always enough capital um, to last a bit longer, I think that that was a really tough lesson, but a really valuable one to learn early on. And how was it like um, going through such a tough moment like that where, you know, you see that unfortunately you need to pull the plug and how was it that for you too? I'm sure that, um, you know, as they say, you either succeed or you learn. Right. So, yeah. so how was that experience? That's a nice way to put it. Um, I, I mean, look, it's, it was tough. I, I was, I think, um, in New York City doing a press tour. I was interviewed on like Forbes and, and CNN and Bloomberg. And then, and then two months later, you know, we had to pull the plug because we were literally going to go out for financing and then everything crashed. And it just was, I don't know, within six months, we had to shut the company down. So 
that was, you know, I think that while that was really tough lesson to learn, it was, it was important. Um, and I'm glad that I got to learn that earlier. You know, when I was younger, I was still 27 at the time. Um, and, and it also, uh, because I was sitting on a board with a lot of people that was, you know, CEO of a Fortune 500 company, um, the former CFO of Excite. Uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of very, very, um, key people, uh, that were on this board. And, and it was, I was the youngest person in the boardroom, but I had wanted to go raise funding earlier. Um, but I was outvoted because no one wanted the dilution. So I think that, you know, capitalizing a startup well, um, you know, basically making sure that you allow for mistakes because they will happen. So make sure you have enough buffer room. Um, people, I think, tend to undercapitalize startups. It's, it's something that I, that I, learn firsthand can be, you know, fatal to a startup. So No kidding. Now, in your case, you uh, decided to, you know, shift gears and you went into business school. You went to Wharton and uh, tremendous community Wharton, by the way. Uh, and then basically from there, you go into investment banking. So it's really interesting the transition and the sequence of events here because once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So why why investment banking, corporate America? I know. Well, actually, I even fighted going to business school for a long time. I didn't think I needed to go. Um, I didn't want to be like everybody else, every other MBA. But uh, actually, I loved the Wharton experience. It was a great place, great community, as you say. Uh, and I learned a lot about the fundamentals um, around finance. So that was great. Uh, and it gave me, you know, the, I guess, the, the path to, to work in investment banking. And I wanted to have that, that really that corporate finance M&A experience, capital raising experience, um, because it gave me the other, the other side of the coin. And I think actually being able to merge, uh, my entrepreneurial experience with my experience of working at Bear Stearns, um, and Morgan Stanley and UBS, those were that experience and being able to merge that with the entrepreneurial background has been really helpful for what I'm doing today. So, and, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now, in your case, investment banking, you did that for a few years. I guess from now being able to look at companies, seeing what works, what doesn't at a higher level, what were some of the patterns that you saw from what works and what doesn't work when it comes to business? You mean from investment banking? That's right. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought uh, what was super interesting about that was I specialized in TMT, so I looked at a lot of tech and media companies, uh, you know, worked on some pretty large transactions, about $30 billion worth of capital raising and M&A at the time. Um, but that that helped me understand um, the other perspective, you know, what are investors looking for? Um, how are we valuing a company? You know, these are just some of the fundamental building blocks to, you know, to what I do now, which is, you know, really M&A buy and build. Um, so if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't have known how to raise the capital. I wouldn't have known how investors look at that capital and, and the ROI that's needed um, for them to consider something attractive. Uh, and then also the M&A, the M&A experience was really helpful um, just as a just as a fundamental building block for, for doing obviously a lot of M&A, um, but, but looking at valuation as a as a, a basic. Absolutely. But in your case, it took a little bit of time, you know, to uh, 
reset and click the play button again, you know, and, and go at it as an entrepreneur. So, so what do you think, because you were doing the advisory tool, uh, whether it was investment banking or as an internal banker for another company later, and even a board member uh, for a company that was operating mainly in Madrid in Spain. But what do you think needed to happen for you to be at peace with the idea of doing it again? Um, actually, that's a great question. I, you know, you can say that after you shut down a company and you have to fire 30 people, it's uh, it's not the, the easiest experience for someone to go through. And I was, I was being cautious. Um, and, and so for me to go at it again, when I, when I first started, um, when I sat on the board of this, uh, gas station convenience retailing buy and build in Spain, uh, I helped, you know, I negotiated, uh, the, the shareholders agreement. I raised the capital. I built the business plan, um, and, and hired the, the core management team, um, you know, worked on all of the M&A. Then I said, well, why would I do that? Uh, for for someone else, why wouldn't I just go and do that myself? Um, so so at the end, I think it was it did take me a long time to get back to that point again. Uh, but I think I needed to build up the confidence and and you know feel confident that I knew what I was doing. I guess uh, before I lost uh, investor money, you know, and I think that that's a I I took that really seriously. It wasn't a huge amount of capital back in. Back in um, 1999, 2001, but it was it was you know two and a half million. Uh, so you you take that seriously when you lose that capital. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then 2019 comes. You have the confidence. Now you are um, also looking, you know, what's possible in this space. So at what point are you like, okay, I'm ready. And this is the industry that I want to tackle. Walk us I, through that. I mean, I, I have to say my husband was really um, a supporter. And he, he just pushed me. You know, he really kind of literally pushed me out the door um, and was very supportive of us um, funding, 
this platform for the first six months. Um, you know, we, we researched sectors for the first six months prior to that. Uh, so really it took a year to kind of build the business plan, raise the capital. Um, but I have to say that when we decided to raise the capital in September of 2019, it was the fastest capital raise I've ever worked on. We closed with Oak Tree Capital by um, December 20th of 2019. And then we did our first acquisition in January of 2020. And for the people that are listening to to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Univets? How do you guys make money? So Univets is a... Is a um, a veterinary healthcare services platform. So we buy, uh, we acquire veterinary practices, and then we offer them a shared services platform so that they can focus more of their time on on the clinical work as opposed to the administrative burdens that that a lot of these clinical directors have to face. Um, so so we make money, I guess, from from professionalizing the marketing, the digital marketing, um, and and purchasing synergies and. Um, helping to grow these businesses. Uh, but what I like about it is that, you know, a lot of our clinical directors, they, they have spent the last 20 years building their business. And this kind of brings me full circle to, to my parents' business. And, um, and so we took that responsibility very seriously. We, we treat each of our clinical directors like clients. Um, and so I think that that, that sense of um, care has really helped us earn a top-notch reputation in the market. And, and so that's that's also helped us to do well, um, I think, in terms of M&A. So our clinical directors, they refer us to other clinical directors, and it's really taken a life of its own. So walk us through, through the capital raising process, because how much capital have you guys raised to date? So we've raised over 200 million euros. Uh, we have... You know, we haven't spent all of it, luckily, uh, but um, but we have access to it. Um, and Oak Tree Capital has provided us with equity. I've also invested alongside them personally. And then um, Aries Management has provided us with debt and an acquisition financing line um, of 116 million euros. So it's a, it's a platform that's growing really, really quickly. We have over 125 practices across Spain and Portugal. Um, and we're the leader in in that geography, and we kind of have ambitions to go um, continue our expansion and 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 raise more capital and and grow across Europe. And obviously, you guys are growing, you know, very rapidly. So uh, growing at over a hundred percent year over year. So so I guess the how do you go about the combination of M and A and organic growth to build a company like this one? So I think our our M and A has become like a, like a, it's it's really become super efficient. Um, in the last week alone, we've done two acquisitions. Just to give an example, uh, so so and last year we did over forty acquisitions in a year. So we're we're really kind of getting up to a volume where um, and these are not large acquisitions; these are small ones. So we have to learn how to be pragmatic um, and do these efficiently. Uh, but in terms of organic growth, I think that that that's where probably some of my um, dot com experience may help because now digital marketing and customer acquisition is is everything, uh, and so we've we've been able to leverage um, our our team's um, veterinary sector expertise uh, and operational expertise around purchasing and synergies alongside um, you know call it digital digital marketing. 
And when you go about the M&A side of it, you know, obviously integration is everything always in these types of deals. So how do you go about making sure that, I mean, 40 acquisitions is like an insane number. So how do you go about having like a nice assembly line where the integration is going to happen super smoothly on all fronts? We have checklists. We have templates. <laughs> Everything <laughs> literally, you know, I mean, you would not imagine the number of our, our team loves Excel, you know, and we have other tools uh, like Monday.com, which we use to track everything. So um, we leverage a lot of technology and, and we also have a very streamlined process. Um, otherwise, uh, it would be impossible. So our our acquisition um, paperwork, you know, our, our share purchase agreements, our asset purchase agreements, they're all from templates. And then you just change a few, a few of the key components like price, <laughs> maybe some terms slightly change, but all of these things have to be from a template. Otherwise, they would never be able to never be able to do this. So, so obviously with the, um, you know, as you were alluding earlier, you guys have raised quite a bit of money. And uh, I guess as as you are bringing people around you, bringing investors around you, vision is a really big one for them. So let's say you were to go to sleep tonight, Junko, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Univets is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we've been quite conservative so far, but we seem to blow all of our projections out of the water. So... Um, I think I think right now we're looking at um, a pan-European platform. That's our ambition, and uh, and we'd like to create a real community um, for for vets uh, because they're the lowest-paid um, workers on the healthcare spectrum, um, but most caring, uh, very altruistic, and so we invest a lot in our team, in our people, and um, and their continued training because it really is a calling to be a vet. Um, average vet knows they want to be a vet from the time they're ten years old. So, um, so I think you know, and, and they have to have really top-notch grades to get into it. And so, um, you're not going to be a vet for the money. You're going to be a vet for the calling and and the care that you're going to give. So, we we want to give back. Um, in that sense. And so we invest a lot. We did over a hundred trainings last year alone um, for our teams. And, um, and that will just only continue if, if we grow, if we get the opportunity to grow larger, we, we want to um, continue that, call it that investment back into the sector. And then how did you think about to, with the team around the execution roadmap when it comes to, to regions? Because obviously Spain has been a, a, a really interesting market for you guys, you know, as part of building the business. So how have you thought about that too? So we, so we um, started in Spain and then the following year in beginning of 2021, we expanded to Portugal. Um, and then in 2022, we, we have a sister company that's also funded by Otrue that's in Poland, uh, which has the largest pet population in Europe. It's called Luxpet. Uh, so, so I think that we have call it a track record and being able to take our best practices and, you know, bring them to other countries. Uh, because at the end of the day, the, the, you know, the profile of the vet and their issues, what the problems that they face, it's, it's fairly fundamental. It's universal across geographies. Um, and so I think given we're, we're solving those problems, that, that is going to resonate, um, across Europe. 
Now, it's nothing like being at the right time in history when it comes to building a business. And it sounds like there's more consciousness uh, and, and, and more activity when it comes to pets. You know, for example, with COVID, it was like crazy, the amount of adoptions and things like that. So how do you think that timing has helped you guys to really get that wind behind your backs? No, I mean, it's been great. Uh, there is, a, I think, a 20% increase in pet adoptions in, in Spain alone um, throughout COVID. And in that, I don't think that's very different across the U.S. or any other geography. I think I think everybody went through the same thing. Um, and, and I think that that kind of talks to the importance of being in the right sector, right? What are the tailwinds? What are the macro trends uh, driving demand and um, and consumption? So so we we've looked at that really carefully as well. So it's it's really it's obviously it's helped us. Um, but at the end of the day, when we look at other groups as well, there's obviously a variance in execution. So you can't just have a great a great sector and not execute. I think um, it also comes down to how well are you executing against the average in the market? Are you outperforming? Are you underperforming? Are you just average? So, um, yeah, hopefully we're we're overperforming. <laughs> and then also when when you have all these different um, you know spots of 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 operations and execution, like you know you are in the UK, you have Portugal, you have Spain. Now you were talking about Poland as well with your sister company. How do you go about culture as well? Uh, well, I think people are, um, I, I know that there are differences in culture, but fundamentally, I think people are people. And so we have a really positive culture. And, um, and, we, and I think that vets are some of the nicest people. So we, we have an easy time with working with our vets and, and reinvesting into their, into their career paths. Um, so from a cultural perspective, our culture is one of care, uh, and we take care of our clinical directors and our vets, and we hope that they, they do a great job. Um, as a result, they're better enabled to take care of pets um, for us. So now I'm going, to put you, I'm going to put you, Junko, into a time machine. I hope you're ready. So I'm going to put you into a time machine right now, and I'm bringing you back in time to that moment where you were coming out of the university in San Diego and that moment where you were thinking about a world where you would bring something to life, become an entrepreneur. But let's say you had the opportunity of having a chat, sitting down with that younger self, that younger Junko, and you're able to give that younger Junko one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Uh... There's, you don't have just one, but, um, but I think, uh, I think, um, the most important thing for us, I would say, is that people kind of relate giving back to only charities and philanthropy. I think that we're, we're, you know, we've kind of been able to figure out a way to give back every day in our day to day work and, and being able to, to do that, whether it's mentoring someone, doing the right thing, going out of your way to do the right thing, even if it may not benefit you. I think that that's the stuff that gives you um, the most gratifying mark in your personal history. When you go back and you remember, what did I do with all of that time? It's not about how much money did you make. It's about, it's about was I, you know, who are the people that I came across? What are the relationships that I have? Um, was I, you know, did I live a life of integrity? So, for us, I think value, values and giving back is really important. I love that. 
I love that. So, Junko, for the people that are listening right now and that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Oh, probably just go on my LinkedIn, and I'm, I'm quite responsive. Easy enough. Well, hey, Junko, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much, Alejandro. I hope I see you in Madrid. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.